And now I'll be reading scripture from Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Author David Foster Wallace uh, tells a story uh, at the beginning of one of his speeches uh, about some fish that are hanging out one day, and another fish swims up to them and says, uh, Hey guys, how's the water today? And the fish look at each other and look up at him and say, Dude, what's water? What Jesus in this text wants to come into our life in this moment and talk to us about anxiety. But anxiety is so much a part of the way that we live on a daily basis in 2020 that when he comes to us to talk about it, it's almost like a fish coming up to another fish and saying, dude, what's water? That is, it's so ingrained into our normal experience, we almost can't even imagine life without a daily dosage of anxiety. One author described the modern experience this way. It said, the daily experience of anxiety evokes two experiences, either a life stuck on an escalator that won't ever move, or a life stuck on an elevator that is not allowed to stop. It is the defining motion of our culture, and I'm not sure how one completely lives without it. You know, it's almost like everything in our life wants to use anxiety to motivate us, to improve us, to change us. But all it ends up doing is burdening us and paralyzing us and actually keeping us from doing anything that we actually want to do. You know, even ancient Near Eastern kings uh, commonly used anxiety as a way of controlling and shepherding and leading their people. But what Jesus wants to do is come meet us in this text and share with us that he is a king who wants to remove anxiety from our life. Look, one of the things that we need to clarify tonight is that uh, the call by Jesus into Christianity is one that wants to remove anxiety and, and lead us into an anxious free life. That's why he says three times in this text, verse 25, do not be anxious. Verse 31, do not be anxious. Verse 34, do not be anxious. So here's the question um, to just simply pose to you. Like, do you want to listen to what Jesus invites you into? To, to not be anxious. If you do, uh, there are five things that we need to consider and do if we want 
to follow Jesus into a less anxious life. One, it's understand what it is. Two, it's learn its cause. Three, it's face the foolishness. Four, it's experience the remedy. And five, it's practice the antidote. So first, uh, if we want to follow Jesus' call, we have to understand what it is. That is, we have to get our finger on the idea of what anxiety actually really is. Um, I remember one night, um, one of the worst things you can do in marriage is try to put uh, brackets for curtains up. It's really, it's really frustrating because whoever made the brackets made them in such a way that it's impossible to get uh, the drill underneath the front part of the bracket in order to get the screw into the hard plaster wall. And so I remember one night when I was trying to do this, like the hardest thing is trying to keep your finger on the bracket uh, in order to get the initial hole punctured in the wall. And so you're constantly feeling like maybe I need to move this bracket along the wall. But really the problem was I just couldn't get my finger on it to hold it in this exact place. And what we need to do is get our finger on anxiety. And Jesus sort of tells us in verse 25 and verse 34, um, almost the definition of it. Do not be anxious about your life. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. Uh, So let's get a definition of anxiety. One author put it this way. Anxiety is fear in the face of uncertainty. That is, uh, what what that author is saying and what Jesus uh, is sort of saying is, uh, anxiety is based on the intangible and on the future. That is, do not be anxious about your life, something that's almost, in, almost intangible. Do not be anxious about tomorrow, the future. See, we, we have to get our finger on this. Um, do not be anxious about your life. There is a difference between fear and anxiety because fear is based on uh, the, you know, the clear and the objective thing right in front of us. So, for example, if you and I are sitting in a cafe in a car, like a huge Mack truck comes running at the window, Jesus does not look at us at that moment at that table and say, my child, do not be anxious. He says, get up and run, because we're clearly seeing this car come at the window. But what anxiety is, is looking out into life at all the intangible things, all of the things that are sort of imaginative to us, and letting all the possibilities of that run and dominate our life to the point where we're anxious. This is why Jerry Seinfeld has this joke that he says, the number one fear that people have in life is is public speaking. He says number two is death. That means your average person at a funeral would rather be in the casket than doing the eulogy, which is ridiculous. But it's, it's, it's reflective of our culture in the idea that we really are more afraid of the intangible than the clear and the objective. But we're also you know, um, anxious about the future. That's uh, why life is always built on if, you know? Ifs are what makes us anxious. If this happens, if she responds this way, if I don't get into this, if this, if this, those are the things that really build and drive our anxiety. And what Jesus is trying to get us to get our finger on is that anxiety is built on a false belief. This is what he says in verses 28 and 29. 
when he says, Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you, of little faith? That we have to get our finger on the idea that at the heart of our anxiety is false belief. That it is a heart symptom. And the reason we have to get our finger on that is because if we don't understand that that's at the heart of anxiety, we will always be blaming our circumstances and we'll, we'll be prone to change circumstances that never need to be changed in order to deal with our anxiety. So first, that we have to understand what it is. It's fear in the face of uncertainty. Secondly, though, let's learn the cause of where that anxiety comes from. Look what Jesus says in verse 25 when he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body or what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Now he's right away telling us what the cause of our anxiety is. It's that we have to have control over things that make us feel secure. And why would he mention these things? Because life, food, and clothing are all things that we need for security. And when we don't have those things, and we don't have control over those things, we begin to be anxious. Now, is Jesus saying, those things don't matter. All that matters is loving me and worshiping me. Absolutely not. Because uh, multiple times Jesus looks at the poor who do not have those things and instructs us that if we want to love him and love our neighbor, we must give them those things. So Jesus is not saying that food and clothing and your life don't matter. He's identifying for us what we do about those things. And what we do is we tend to look at our life and food and clothing and put a weight on those things that those things can never hold. And when it can't hold the weight, we have to grab for control. And when we grab for control, that's the action of anxiety. Let me, let me illustrate this for you. Um, if your mom or dad uh, in their home, if they have like a crystal candlestick on the dining room table, um, you know, those are brought out for holidays or other nice events. Uh, it's a perfect holder for a candle. So if you stick the candle in there, uh, no one's worried, no one's bothered. Uh, like I hope that, that crystal candlestick can hold up tonight because if it doesn't, it breaks in the middle of this, it's going to be embarrassing. Like nobody... Nobody's concerned about that because it's built to hold the weight of the candle. But if you take the same crystal candlestick and you try to prop it up under a car to change a tire, what's going to happen to it? It's going to crush the candlestick. Now, does that mean the candlestick is not a good holder and is not sufficient to hold anything? Absolutely not. It just means it is not sufficient to hold the weight of the car. And so if you stuck it under there and let, let go of the car, what would happen is you would want to reach for the candlestick knowing it will be crushed. And that's what our heart does with anxiety. Because deep down you know that, look, what you want out of your body, what you want out of clothing, what you want out of life, it cannot handle the weight of your soul. 
your job, your identity, your family. It can't handle the weight of everything. And when you jack it up under all those things and try to put it under there and realize it's about to happen, that's the cause of anxiety. And even our desires that are a little bit off on this can lead to this. And so here's the test. What is it that if you can't have control over it, you feel like you're going to break down? Because whatever that is, your desires are a little bit off, and that's the cause of your anxiety. So Jesus first wants us to get our understanding of what it is. Secondly, learn the cause of it. But third, he wants us to face the foolishness of it. Because what the human heart does is experience the loss of control, uh, stare at fear in the face of uncertainty, and then have an instinct to think, if I'm anxious right now, it will actually help the situation or bring a remedy to what I'm actually going to want to go through. That instinct is foolish. This is why he says in verse 27, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to the span of his life? Jesus is saying, we think anxiety is going to make life better, but actually all it does is throw gas on the fire of our fears. I remember several years ago reading an article that a Blitz gas can company was the number one gas can company in America. So if you went to like Target or Walmart or any auto parts store, store and you wanted to buy like a little portable gas can, the number one company was Blitz. And it went out of business over uh, litigation fees. And what happened was that uh, more and more people were suing the gas can company because it did not have written on the side of the gas can that uh, gas would make a fire more dangerous. So you had thousands of stories of people who had a fire and took gas from their gas can and threw it on the fire, hoping that it would extinguish the fire. And actually what it did is, of course, explode and either severely injure somebody or even worse, kill somebody. And what we do with anxiety is that we instinctively think, well, this is a liquid. If I throw it on this fire, surely that will put it out. But all it does is actually blow up and explode further in our face and make life worse. Now, does does this mean that uh, we can't plan in life or that we should just sort of (laughs) wing it and follow it? No, 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 no. But when you turn to anxiety, what it does is it has a tendency to remove you out of the present moment and lead you into anxious, erratic decisions in life. This is why people uh, want to do things like live together before they get married. Uh, I'm worried, uh, I'm anxious that uh, this person won't be what I hope they're going to be if we get married, so I need to test drive them. Or this is why we're tempted to cheat on our taxes or lie about our finances. Uh, I'm worried about what's the possibilities of happening. And when you worry about that, thinking that's the responsible thing to do, it actually is gas on your fire leading you to do all sorts of other things. Look, anxiety, Jesus wants to understand, is, is not the remedy. But part of the remedy is to see the foolishness of the turning into anxiety because anxiety never fixed anything. But one author put it this way. Corey Ten Boom, she said, Worry never fixes tomorrow's problems, but it does empty today of the possibility of joy.
So we must understand what it is, learn its cause, face its foolishness, but fourth, experience the remedy. That is, Jesus wants us to understand that we, in anxiety, think we know more than we know. And what will help us and bring a remedy is if we turn to him and understand Jesus knows more than we know. This is why he says in verse 30, If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you little, little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying what we will eat, or what we will drink, or what we will wear. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Jesus is saying, look, God knows what you need. And when we experience anxiety, we think he doesn't know what we need. And we think we know how life should be going. And if God knew what we knew, things would be going okay and we would be okay. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 it's the other way around. You don't know how things should be. And if you knew what he knew, you would be okay. Uh, I think it's Randy Holderfield's book, The Normandy Invasion, tells a story about uh, uh, that fateful day on June 6th where uh, we had the army invasion on the beach and the Air Force invasion uh, from the plains. Uh, Within a couple hours of each other, General uh, Eisenhower and Admiral Spatz got two different reports about the Normandy invasion on D-Day. Eisenhower got word that the troops on the ground were saying, we're losing this battle. And we've made a mistake and we're actually not going to be able to penetrate the German lines. And this entire invasion may be a failure. Within a couple hours of that, Admiral Spatz of the Air Force got a completely different report where he was told by the pilots that said, hey, they're breaking ground, they're penetrating through the holes, they're taking the beach. And what the author sort of asks is, hey, which report was right? And we know from history, from from the Allies actually winning that battle on D-Day, that the person who had the correct view was the one with the bird's eye view. And what Jesus is saying about your life is that you need a bird's eye view in order to deal with anxiety. See, you and I have a ground level view of our life. We know what's out in front of us. And Jesus here is offering you a bird's eye view to say, listen, your father can see from a different angle on your life and he knows what you need and he knows what's happening. And what you need is to come back to him and to rest in what his view and understanding of the world is. Look, he knows what you need and he will not withhold. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Not just because uh, he knows what to do with it or it's wise He says, because he cares for you. Paul tells us in Romans 8, he says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? 
Paul, Paul is telling you this, look, what's the most expensive thing in your life? Whatever it is, um, you have the tendency to give more diligent care to things that you spend a lot of money on rather than things that you just bought for a dollar at Target. And Paul is saying, God spent his son on us. Everything he had on us. If he spent everything he had on us, how will he leave us alone in our lives to just care for and fend for ourselves? No, no, he will care. And what you and I need is the bird's eye view to know that he will care. And we can take the bird's eye view that he will care because the person who is saying this to us took a bird's eye view of himself. Do you know that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he was betrayed, was pressed with unbelievable anxiety to the point that he sweated drops of blood, which tells us it is not sinful and wrong to struggle with anxiety. But what Jesus wants us to do is learn what to do with our anxiety. And what Jesus did in the midst of the garden with anxiety is he took the bird's eye view. He said, you are good. Father, not what I will, but your will be done. Which means, you know, you can trust God in your anxiety and to know he will not ever stop caring for you because in the midst of Jesus' anxiety, the Father stopped caring for him so that us in our feeble, anxious hearts could leave and Jesus would die for our leaving and the Father would bring us back to know that while we are anxious, we can turn to him and he will never leave us and he will never stop caring for us. Look, the remedy for your anxiety is this. You have to live in light of what you know to be true not in light of what you don't know to be true. And what you know to be true is that God will never condemn you in your anxiety. He will never leave you in your anxiety. And he knows exactly what's happening in the midst of your anxiety because he has the bird's eye view of your life. And he begs of you to rest and to turn and be relieved of that. That's the, that's the remedy we need to experience. But fifthly and lastly, Here's how we take that remedy and make it a part of our life. We have to fifthly practice the antidote. And Jesus tells us this in verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. It's a very famous verse uh, that's often quoted, but did you, did you ever notice that that was found in the context of Jesus urging us not to be anxious? Because when he says, seek first his kingdom and all these things will be added unto you, he's saying this is the antidote to anxiety. That we would do two things, that we would seek the kingdom. See, A, the kingdom. Why the kingdom? Because the kingdom of God is firm. It is established. It is permanent. It is unshakable. It is never moving. It is coming, and it lives on the promise of God's very word himself. And Jesus here is trying to get you to understand this. You are as free from anxiety as the most consistent thing in your life. See, anxiety is built on unstable things. It's built on the intangible thing of your life. It's built on the, the unimaginable future. It's built on perception. It's built on ifs. It's built on what ifs. 
And Jesus is saying, if you take the kingdom, the firm, unmovable thing, then life will stop being like this, these immovable circumstances, and it will start being like this because it's built on an unshakable thing, my kingdom. He says, the kingdom, seek it. And here's the antidote, you must seek it. And the word in the Greek there is be seeking. It's a present active imperative, meaning it's a habitual, habitual action. It's a lifestyle. And see, the cancer to anxiety is to begin simple steps of belief. See, we don't don't eliminate anxiety in our life in one sweeping moment. We eliminate anxiety in our life through small, tiny, diligent moments, day after day. Think um, Think of it like going to the gym. If you decide you want something different in your life, and you're like, okay, today, I'm going to start uh, pursuing health and I'm going to go to the gym. If you go one time and come away disappointed that nothing changed, you're not understanding what Jesus says here. But if you go four times a week for the next four years, what you will feel, what you will see, what you will experience will be very different. Because it's not done in one sweeping moment. It's done in small, continual, habitual actions. And Jesus is saying, here's the cancer of anxiety. Make the kingdom of God, make his glory, make his promises, make his love the most stable thing of your life in small, consistent, consistent, stable moments, day after day. And the more you do that, the more it will eat away at your anxiety the way cancer can eat away things in your body. See, to those of you who are hurting, who are scared, who are unsure and full of worry, Jesus says, come to him with a bird's bird's eye view and hear him say, do not be anxious. And that is good news that we need to listen to. Amen.